Teachers are so important. Like, they actually are. Care about it and, like, actually try. I believe it is a beautiful piece of art. Welcome along to See Me After Class for 2020. This is a podcast that emanates from a beautiful school in the southern Alps of New Zealand. Now, let's meet the team. And here is Cathy, a parent who aspires to make connections in a community to build a successful future. This is Chris, who aspires to be an agitator who tests the boundaries just to see how the system reacts. And this is Anna, a silent observer who's a go-between between the students and the teachers in a classroom. This is Renee, who aspires to forge a progressive and creative path. And together, we are See Me After Class. Welcome to See Me After Class. Just before we launch into this week's episode, we wanted to mention that there are matters discussed in this week's episode that may be distressing for some people. And as a result, we have got some links in the show notes to places you can go should you find our conversation triggers concerns for you personally. Kia ora, good day, good afternoon. Welcome to See Me After Class. It's week eight, episode 40-something. 43. <laughs> well done. Time is flying, and here we are. The team is all together. Yeah, it's. Like I find these meetings of us. We, as you'll probably imagine, listening in, we sit down to talk and we start talking and we forget to turn the microphone on, and time passes. And we've had these wonderful, wide-ranging conversations, and and we haven't remembered to share them with you. So we've turned the microphone on, and we're going to stay focused today. We want to carry on this series of episodes that deal with the issue of bullying. Last week we had a fairly profound experience talking through the, the 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 conditions that create bullying and what bullying is. And then we also heard from our listener about their experience of bullying. And that's the bit we wanted to expand on this week. What actually happens? Does anyone want to start in with any observations or experiences or anecdotes about bullying in there in your world in relation to school? Certainly uh, my relationship relation with bullying in school my own personal experience was very much one of I was very young and inexperienced and didn't know how to articulate or who to approach um, when it came down to seeking help right. I don't think I grew up in a generation that bullying was talked about I definitely didn't have a network of girlfriends who would be able to talk about it with me they were often the ones that were the perpetrators as an older person looking down on it, things become so much more obvious and so much clearer when you have a voice and when you have understanding of what this is and how you can possibly deal with it. Because I've got the language, because I've got the vocabulary around it. But how do we introduce that to children within school? The question is out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that it, things are very simple when you talk about them in abstract terms. So it's very simple for us to say bullying is uh, comes out of a culture where people who are vulnerable are targeted by people who, for whatever reason, and often it's reasons of insecurity, want to make them feel small. And that the way out of it is to speak up. But my own experience is that when you're inside the experience of bullying, you 
you internalize the things that are said about you. So you believe them to be mm. true. And therefore, the last thing you often want to do is to share with other people the things that are said about you because you essentially feel like you're revealing to more people in your life your own inadequacies or failures or uh, losses and that you and, and that will just diminish you in their eyes. So there's not a lot of... It doesn't make it easy to speak up. I think being able to use some kind of mechanism to speak anonymously to someone who isn't in your life could be a really valuable avenue. And there are some avenues like that available, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I think the... the the damaging mental cycle that bullying puts a person into is is that that little you, your world becomes so reduced mm. basically doesn't it you, your your ability to see outside of the scope of the bullying um, from my experience anyway which is a lot I guess I want to term it casual bullying mm. um, and possibly I want to throw the word name calling out there but it does it does reduce your world a little bit like you don't sort of see the way forward or see the people that you could talk to even anonymously sometimes you don't notice those avenues there because you get stuck inside the, this little mental world of what's happening with the bullying mm. well I can imagine it and we started out talking about well what does it actually look like and I can imagine that world getting smaller and smaller when the messages, particularly when they're when it's cyber, you know, in cyberspace and it's happening online. A lot of this, um, they're coming constantly, and they're coming can be coming 24 hours a day. They're often coming late at night um, if a phone or a device is accessible, you know, in a, in a child's room, and we know they are quite often, despite you know advice to the contrary, and it is it's impossible to escape. I think, uh, particularly when messages are just really scary ones that get wrapped up in. I mean, I, I know of cases where kids are getting are harassed to the point of, of being told they should go kill themselves. And, and that is just the horrific, most heartbreaking thing I can think of and can't imagine people saying that sort of thing face to face. And I suppose that's part of the maliciousness of online bullying is you don't say it face to face, you say it digitally. It's the same kind of toxicity that can get into general public keyboard warrior sort of mm -hmm. stuff that we see in uh, at all ages but when you're a young person and you don't Anna have as you say the kind of vocabulary or, mm -hmm. or wherewithal to process or understand what you're hearing is not at all um, you know applicable or you can't can't get rid of it, it it'll, it's just it's just there and yeah, I'd be curious to know what sort of things you guys are actually seeing in the classroom or hearing about outside the classroom that is upsetting kids. One thing that, um, Renee, you've mentioned is casual bullying. And it's, it's an interesting word to use because the throwaway comments that come as you're crossing the playground, as you're changing from class to class, are something that really grates me. And I will stop it every time I walk past it, whether it's bad language or whether it's just some really unkind word that I'll stop and I'll speak to somebody and I do try and approach it in a friendly manner. Um, I do always introduce myself and I do think if you set the standard at that, as you call it, the casual bullying, does that then stamp out to something greater? Because if something small is reduced to nothing or is made a point of, then can we um, identify it as bullying at that level and then it can't grow? or somebody who's just constantly being told a tiny wee drop every single day of this casual bullying which will build up to 
a glass full at the end of the week which will build up by the end of a term to what sort of bucket is that full of and what sort of hurt is that child carrying around with them every single day so if we stamp it out early if we can then that should be I feel our responsibility within school I have a couple of thoughts one of them Kathy, is I'd probably like to challenge your notion that it's worse online mm. and that people wouldn't say these things in person it delights me to think that no one's ever said things like that to you I'd be pleased to know that but I think it's important that we don't presume that because just we haven't experienced something that it doesn't happen. I don't think bullying via the internet is particularly different to the bullying that happens in person. I've certainly been told multiple times in my teenage years that I should be dead, that I should kill myself, not by necessarily only individuals, also by groups of people. And that was all to my face because there was no internet or network in that time. I've been pushed down into the urinals and toilets. I've, I've had clothes taken off me. I've had my work taken off me and then defaced or had, had you know, feces smeared over it and put back in my bag. I've had groups of people chanting at me across streets and in public spaces, things like faggot, die. I've had all the kind of whispered stuff happening in the classroom or around the school. I've had all sorts of kind of things that are pretty vicious happen in person. And the thing about that that's different perhaps that I would say is that with a device, as much as students struggle to do this, you can actually turn it off. Mm-hmm. I couldn't turn any of that off. That was that, uh, that was in my actual world rather than in the online world. And so I'm not saying that it's easier or better online, but I'm not necessarily saying it's easier or better in person either. I and mean, people are really vicious, mm. especially when they feel they have the license to be. Mm. Now, obviously, those treatments of me were legitimized because our society considered being gay to be abhorrent at the time. And that mm. does exaggerate or empower people a bit more. But I guess if we're talking about that, it's what you're talking about there, Anna, is standing up Mm. and naming the things that you do not stand for, Mm. making sure that it's a constant part of the narrative. Because I think the thing that, that the student that wrote to us in our last week's episode kind of illustrated is that we don't know it's happening. And I guess I'd say as a teacher talking to people who are parents is that Just because your children are telling you it's not happening doesn't mean that it's not happening. Like, I certainly wouldn't have told my family. And I know that I was asked because obviously I was demonstrating a lot of behaviors you'd expect to see from someone who's being persecuted. But there's no way that I'd have acknowledged that. It took me into my 20s before I could even verbalize the things that were happening to me, let alone share them with my mother, which took about another 10 years and came out in a burst of emotion in my 30s. But these things often are the ones that you don't share with your family Mm. and therefore the role of people in the institutions like teachers are terrific Mm. because in a lot of ways we're the only ones who have the kind of role in the lives of the young people to actually show them that these things are not universal and that people do stand up against them. Now I'm also not suggesting about your individual children that they are now currently experiencing bullying because they may or may not. I, I can't know. But I can say that it's it's easy for us to dismiss that possibility when the children don't report it to us. Mm. And I think it's something I always want to do is just presume that there's a good chance that it is happening on the basis that that creates an opening for that to be, uh, for them to say, yes, it is, as opposed to sort of saying, yeah. is it? Because yeah, yeah. then... 
then they'll say no. <laughs> and what did, approach did you take to seek help or did you even have that opportunity? Well, there was no way of getting help for that. So how did you, have you just carried this burden? Oh, as an adult, child? yeah. So, so As a child, there was no yeah. opportunity for support and as an yeah. adult, then what changed? So in, as an adult, I did a lot of reading and I eventually saw a counsellor mm. in my 20s and spent quite a number of months and then years regularly visiting them and just yeah. working through. But also, I don't think that, I mean, I don't think I'm fixed because of that. Mm. I think the experience has its lifelong effects. Mm. And mm. I think even talking about this and listening to me talking over the top of you right now, I hear my assertiveness. <laughs> I hear how I, I, you can, you can, you can notice my, how, how my nature has been formed by this experience. Now I'll stop talking. <laughs> um, I'm interested to find out what, as a teacher, do you then offer to kids or do you notice in kids within your classes and around the school as well? Um, how do you support kids to give them the opportunity to say, I'm an approachable person and if you don't find me approachable, here are the avenues that you can follow if you are struggling, if you need help, not if you're struggling, if you need help. Um, so I'm not talking from a position of expertise here, yeah. but from my own experience, I feel like one way in has been to speak openly of my own experiences yeah. and let them know that I have that insight, that I've mm. been in that place myself. And I think for some students, in some cases, that's been quite empowering. And then talk about the places that you can go. And we should talk about those now. We shouldn't say yeah. but there are places you can go. I mean, you can go to an adult in your life who you feel safe with. Mm. You can go to a grandparent. You can speak to a teacher. Schools have counselling teams who have a system of confidentiality that mm. protects young people, so counsellors. Attached to this podcast, there's a whole list of online services, some of which you can contact anonymously in order to speak or text or email in order just to reach out. And often the important thing to realize is that it can take more than one approach for a child. The first time they come and talk to you, they may come and talk to you to tell you that they like your t-shirt or that yes. they... Uh, have noticed that they something about your handwriting on the board that that they appreciate or they might give you feedback on something that you've asked for feedback on and quite often it's that moment of contact that sets up whether they'll yeah. then have the next and then the next. I, I couldn't agree more with what you've just said. I think um, particularly in our role as teachers we sometimes can be that individual that's removed enough from the mm. student's life to think oh maybe I could chat to them but it is often that they feel you out with some kind of casual sort of question or comment or contact and I think more and more that has become well no it's always been clear to me but the more times that it happens it becomes more clear to yeah. me how important it is for us to always take action mm. when you hear something about bullying they, or yeah. from our kids like they need to see that you're going to respond in, mm. in, the, in a way you know to, to try and support them mm. like you know we've, we've got our guidance counselling team that yeah. we are always in contact with and that is always our first port of call um, but obviously yeah that's it's just vital sometimes you're the only person they're reaching out to and on the other side of it I think quite often students who are feeling vulnerable in that way are highly attuned to your 
actions and inaction. So if they feel like they've communicated something or they've seen you observe some kind of persecution, even if it's in a text or uh, an interaction in a classroom that you choose not to take action on because you're just a bit overwhelmed with what's happening in the classroom, then that may be the moment where they determine that you're not yeah. going to be safe for them to be around. So that vigilance that you have to have about acting in every circumstance, like most of the time you're going to fail at that and i think parents too are going to fail those tests that the, their children uh sort of run against them i know that my parents said some quite homophobic stuff mm. when my when i was a young man because that was the culture mm. and um uh, and of course as soon as they did that just they were just crossed off the list of safe people and that that they they had no chance to negotiate that with me they had no chance to actually engage in that conversation mm. with me that was all done there was a test that was done silently and they failed it without knowing they failed it you know and that i mean i look at that as an adult and i I, my heart goes out to them but at the time i had no interest in thinking about what it was like for them Mm. i was just in my own experience and that's that diminished world again you know that that getting your world gets smaller and smaller particularly when it's a sort of pack mentality Mm. isn't it Mm. Everyone's looking at me now. I, I, <laughs> a, few, a few thoughts. One is I instantly want just to give Chris a big old motherly hug because, um, you know, that it's really upsetting but helpful to hear exactly what it's like. And I do take on board what you said, Chris, about it's, it's not the digital versus real life. I am struck, however, by the fact that you, you say you can, they can turn it off, but they don't. No. And they don't feel they can. Yeah. And I'm, I observe that as a parent and yeah. the panic with mm-hmm. which I observe some children when they're separated from their device, that's a whole other set of, of traumas, which mm-hmm. are very difficult to understand, of course, from, mm-hmm. from my generation. But there is something in that that is new this generation compared to when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is fueled by human nature and so the, the terrible things that people say, whatever, is still just a tool um, for enacting good or bad mm-hmm. um, I'm also thinking about you know, when we're talking about the safety place and, and what it's like for kids and parents I, I see that in my kids I'm thinking about a time when my child was going through stuff and didn't want to talk to me and I had to hear from the teacher that my child didn't want to let on that things weren't okay yeah. and so there's some even at a really and this is this is at a young age they can feel that they have to present some sort of a positive front, which I found really upsetting as a parent. Mm. I mean, how, how could and how could you not let me see their, mm. your innermost soul? Mm. Um, and in fact, that's all I want to do is to protect, is, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if actually it was protecting me or if it was just protecting you know themselves. It's a complex thing, isn't it? Their status in relation to you. Mm. They want you to think the best of them. Mm. And they may believe your love to be unconditional and still not want you to know their innermost uh, frailties. And um, I think, I mean, we're like that as human beings, aren't we? We are. Our desire to be seen in a good Mm. light. Yeah. Especially by the people who are most important to us. Yes, yes. Well, it's that whole thing of when kids are at school, they can hold it together for six hours a day, but then they'll, and particularly you see this really young kids, and then they come home from preschool and just absolutely collapse into tears. Yeah, because that's they finally, it. They, they do used it. up. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I think I'm still like that, but. So watch out after three o'clock. Yeah, right? that's it. Yeah. 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 But I guess it points to the fact that we can't be 
overly sensitive as adults in young people's lives mm -hmm. that we it, it's so important to have those multiple outlets and multiple options for the young people I think I, I mean again I don't again I'm not speaking from a position of expertise I'm speaking from a, a lived position but I would say I've moved in the direction of helping young people by modeling things for them by by going through routines with my own life and being willing to be open and share that with them in order that they can observe I, I'm quite distant from them in that way and I think as parents you can be as well so that they are able to see you working through a difficult thing and navigating it and revealing your vulnerability and then finding a solution and getting help and engaging with others and then re reaching a positive outcome I think that they I think students do or young people do learn from that and it's it's sort of it really is just modeling it's, it's just sort of letting them into that process that you're engaging in as an adult so that they can kind of understand what processes are available for resolving things Absolutely. I think in any relationship, um, whether it be a partner relationship or a parent-child relationship, the working out of differences, the working out of uh, strong feelings from a very young age can be modelled. Um, equally, I think our children teach us, whether they're, they're children we teach in school or whether they're our physical children, or biological children, that they teach us constantly. There is constant reflection from a six-year-old in our family which is, it seems much bigger and more mature than any 47-year-old thoughts that I have sometimes. Mm. And he also names things with emotion, or he names emotions much greater than I would have been able to imagine, I think, when I was six years old. And whether that's our families are quite an open family trying to discuss things as much as we can or even just put things out there. But equally, we are a family who has discussions, heated discussions, and resolve things as best we can as well, and apologise. Apologise for things that have gone wrong, and apologise to people sincerely and follow things up. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something that has been throughout a 16-year marriage and, uh, you know, relationships growing up with two little boys, so... Well, definitely an advice for teachers' point of view, apologising is really powerful. I agree, yeah. Like, and also in terms of continuing to maintain your status in their eyes, I think it's really important that when you make a mistake and trigger something for a child or, or, or inadvertently say something that actually should not be said, mm. that, that make a mistake, then um, really honestly and Absolutely. openly apologizing, naming the mistake, acknowledging that it was unacceptable, recognizing that it has done harm and acknowledging that that's regrettable and that you you will work to not repeat that rather than just kind of brushing things mm -hmm. aside i think again it's it's about i mean but i'm asking a lot of these people who stand in front of kids if i'm asking for these sorts of things and i and and, the, and these are uncomfortable moments that yeah. no person really likes to spend time with and when you're not wanting to look vulnerable in front of a group of young people though it amplifies the discomfort you're meant to be the one who doesn't make that kind of mistake you're meant to be modeling good behavior mm -hmm. and here you are having done or said or or acted in a way that um, really where you let yourself down and, but I do think that I think more in terms of not protecting my good name or status it's more about making sure that they know that I'm fallible and that they also need to be skeptical about me in case I say something and that they need to not necessarily take every word I say as gospel and therefore perhaps be damaged by those things so it's sort of acknowledging that I can make these mistakes and that that can hurt and that that 
mistake is not okay and that they don't have to accept it at face value allows them to be questioning about the other people, the adults and the people in their lives, sort of skeptical about us in a way that I think is really important in terms of their own protection. It's about working in reality, isn't it? At yeah. the end of the day. Like in reality, we are not perfect and we do make mistakes, but the way that you deal with that in reality is own and mm-hmm. apologize and work to move forward mm-hmm. and so if we're i'm going to use one of chris's trick phrases if we're teaching our students how to operate in the real world, the real world. <laughs> <laughs> then we should be real with them and mm-hmm. that's what i sort of the that's what i'm getting from what you're saying mm-hmm. that operating in reality mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, it's quite obvious that I'm driven by a set of early life circumstances. And I actually think it would be irresponsible for me to not have the families and the students know that. I think that it's okay that I allow these things to drive my actions and the choices I make in the classroom and even the texts that we study. But I think the students need to know that. I think they need to understand bias and they need to understand perspective. And that, and that if, we, if we take responsibility for our biases mm. and acknowledge them, then the students can take what they wish from that. And the families can feel a little safer that we're not trying to just influence their children. Well, it's even more important in today's day and age when truth is up for debate That's so such, often. Yeah. I mean, on, on the media, it, it is very difficult to find what we would all think of is we might have four different perceptions of any given truth. Mm. And so we've got to help our kids navigate that and recognize bias. That, that's as simple as that, mm. recognizing perspective mm. and what that might like, might lead to. And then everyone's perspective is different. And I believe mm. very strongly in recognizing the value of that difference because it's got something to teach us. Mm. And also that you seeing that someone has a perspective reminds you that you can have one too. Mm-hmm. Like that your view... Your view is potentially, in a lot of subjective cases, just as valid. Mm. And I think young people having the right to form a, form an opinion and stand with that opinion is also really important. Actually, I just wanted to finish off this podcast, I thought, by with a slightly more hopeful tone. And we've gone into the concept of things, but I thought I'd just come back to conceptually... Yes, we, were, we have sort of situated bullying as being a very difficult issue, is really hard to resolve, and we've kind of identified that it's quite difficult for people to get out of that situation when they're in it. And then it can lead you to a state of despair. What can you do? But I think there is actually a heck of a lot we can do, and that is what next week's podcast is going to be about. But just to, I thought I'd, we should all have a chance just to suggest kinds of solutions that we're going to examine in more detail next time. One of the things that I think makes a difference is our creating a reality field in the school and in the home and in the classroom, in the places where we have influence that is full of love and acceptance, mm-hmm. that we constantly invest in showing these young people our appreciation of them, the respect that we have for them, the, the, the value that they have in the world around us and making sure that that is just the narrative of being at school or in the home. And, and, and I think that that is su- supportive, it is helpful. I think children in some cases will hang on to those things when they hear them, especially if they are occasionally directed individually at them. And you can have no idea what's going on in their life and yet still have a profound effect on them. And I certainly know, having been a teacher for quite a while, that students have come back to me years later with, I've said this before on this podcast even, that with a line that I used in the classroom that meant everything to them. They were looking for someone to say something like that and they found it in me. And it was random and 
and unpredictable, but it was a wonderful thing to know that that influence stuck. Mm. We can all do that. Mm, definitely. We can all also be open and um, available to talk about these things. Like this podcast mm. is a good example of that. We shouldn't just close the door on bullying and say, yeah, it happens and that's it. Like we have, the, in order to make changes for it or to, to allow people to see the light at the end of the tunnel or even halfway down the tunnel, we've got to be open to it and open to the conversation. Mm. Willing to help. Yeah. Being the, whichever one of us it is, just being the person that will listen and listen openly. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you very much, there everyone. There goes the bell. If yeah. you can hear it in the background. It's yeah. perfect timing. I've got my level threes now. Yeah. You're all just going to have to wait and see me after class. <laughs> <laughs> this was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net. And mine is at Renee Plunkett too. See you next week. <laughs>